What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to another episode of the Smart Cop Moment Smack Talk Podcast. I'm your host as always, Tony Mango, and joining me as always are Callum Wiggins. Hello. And Robert DeFelice. Hello. Hello. How's everybody doing? <laughs> We're getting a little uh little blase going on right now. Um yeah, we hopefully you know, late wrestling. That's right. <laughs> Not gonna go off on the whole all out stuff, but we will talk a little bit about all out and the uh, in the hindsight because that's what we're doing today. We're looking at things from the past. It's not wrestling with the past; it's our newer version of that, which is wrestling is twenty twenty. And if you've not checked out the previous episodes, what this is all about is looking at things from the perspective of in hindsight, was that the best thing possible? You know, is there anything that could have been done differently? Is anything that should have been done differently? Anything that could have been done better? So on and so forth like that. This is a little bit different of a variation of it, but the idea kind of came about because All In has had its two-year anniversary at this point, and we just had All Out, which is essentially the, you know, the carbon copy of that for AEW, and we haven't talked as much AEW I'd like to get these guys' opinions about All Out and the differences that have been the case over the past uh, few years, and why not just lump it all together in one big kind of uh, menagerie sort of situation instead of, I don't know, doing a going over or doing uh, some kind of a list of some sort. This is also going to help inform us a little bit on our list that we do later on next month. Uh, In October, we're going to celebrate the uh, anniversary of the Dynamite program debuting with the AEW roster tier list. So we'll get some of this kind of discussion into the mix here, and that way it'll inform our opinions about maybe some of the people that shouldn't be as high up on the list or some people that should be a little bit higher. Of course, depending on what happens over the next month or so, we'll end up getting into more of those discussions down the line. But like any discussion, I want to know what you have to say about these topics. So Go ahead and drop a comment on whatever it is that you can drop a comment on. That means the Facebook page, the Twitter, at Moment. You can do a comment on the page on SmartCatMoment.com. Or the best thing that you could possibly do is go over to the YouTube channel and the video for this. Drop a comment on that one. While you're over there, hit the like button. Hit the applause button if you want to donate a little bit of money our way. If you really like this video, you got the spare change. You could also subscribe to the channel if you haven't done that already. Ring that little notification bell and join the channel as part of the membership platform that we've got going on here, which is essentially like the Patreon. And of course, there is the Patreon. So if you want us to grow in the future and you want us to do anything in particular that you would take advantage of the Pick Your Poison tier for, or you want to get access to the uh, $10 and up dark cast that are Patreon only episodes, then donate to the Patreon and help us out in that way. But Let's just start this uh, with, I don't know, I guess like some generalized talk. Um, in hindsight, we have now a full year of essentially of Dynamite. We've gotten many months before that of AEW just as a company. And we've got the whole fallout from all in. You know, we've gotten two years of what is basically the gestation and the formation and the creation and then the follow through of this AEW company. How are you guys feeling about it overall? Not as strong as I was, let's say, six months ago. How about you, Cal? Overall, it's been successful, and I've enjoyed the the vast majority of it. I think that it's nice to have an alternative that feels 
not so much like it's compete. It's definitely not competing with WWE. It feels like there's it's got some legs to it. I was very skeptical of this, but I was excited for it. And I've kind of gone back and forth, 50-50, super high, super low, in the middle kind of stuff over and over and over again. Like it, it never really plateaus and it never really stabilizes for me either. There's times where I feel like this is just I guess like a, a fool's errand and it's not going to work out and that everybody's kind of still in that honeymoon phase where they don't really want to criticize the company all that much. And there's a lots of flaws that need to be fixed and everything. And then there's other times where I'm like, Oh wow, they've really got their head on straight and they're fixing things and they're doing things differently. And this is the best possible way that it could have gone down. And that's only the beginning and everything's going to go great and everything like that. So I'm, you catch me on one day, I'm going to be more positive than another day. Some days I'm really low, sometimes I'm really high, and most of the time I'm somewhere in the middle. I think when I look at All In, and All In was a very special moment. It felt like a real bump for the industry that we hadn't seen in a while. But when you look at what that was, where you had people from Impact and Ring of Honor and New Japan, and then it became its own company. Now, don't get me wrong, AEW has a lot of cool uh, puzzle pieces. They got Chris Jericho, which I don't know if many people saw that coming. Uh, you know, the Bucks and Cody and Kenny are a part of the infrastructure. And then there's the fact that it's obviously named after them, All Elite Wrestling. I guess I'll start there. I Two years in, I don't know if I really care for that name anymore. It seems like too much of it is built around the elite, and we know that they're EVPs and all that, and it just seems like that's a negative more than a positive on most days for them. But I might be alone in that sentiment. I I certainly don't have any problem with the all-elite wrestling name. I feel like if that's the thing you... you anchored your brand on and that's the thing that's essentially established you I don't see why you shouldn't run with it I think every wrestling promotion benefits from having a W at the the end of it because that elicits the chance that ECW and like even like probably not WCW because there was too many syllables in that but I think when you do have that kind of sounding thing because nobody chants WWE because it doesn't sound like a chance but chanting AEW sounds good so I think that that's a positive on that front. I think, yeah, like I said, it's it's tied to the thing that made your brand special. And I know that it may be, maybe even in like 30 or like, no, not 30, but like 10 or 15 years time, we'll look back and think that that's a little bit of a, a shorter terminus name. But I think two years in, it's totally fine. I think that there could have been better options and there could have been far worse options. That's true. I mean, Including, they could have gone with like the Elite Wrestling Federation, and it would have been if, like, that wouldn't have worked out all that well, you know. What was the well, original one that he wanted to go with? Because it was uh, he wanted to build it around CM Punk. World's best wrestling, and that mm. is a little on the nose. That feels like I'm 12 and I'm starting yeah. to dread that I'm going to call it World's Best Wrestling. But I also I wonder a lot about how we would be looking at this promotion if it was just Tony Khan and Kevin Riley of Warner Media, and maybe not so much, hey, let's bring in the wrestlers 
in an office capacity. I wonder how much different Tony Khan's promotion looked before bringing on the elite. I think that if it would have just been Tony Khan and all that, we'd be looking more at this as like an NWA power than an actual. I mean, we joke about all the time, but it's like this is WCW right now. It's the actual other company. I I think having the presence of actual like the top wrestlers in the backstage capacity gives it a bit more of a also like an indie feel in a negative way, but it gives it more of an organic feel. Because WWE is very corporate in the sense that the people on top are Vince and Stephanie. And obviously Hunter was a wrestler, but he's not so much a wrestler now. He's cut off that side of things. But And then it's got a, a huge board of directors and everything like that. And I'm sure AEW has that aspect as well. But it's Tony Khan, who's the guy who's mainly funding it and his family behind it. And then it's a group of wrestlers and a few other like TV producers behind the overall development of it and i think that that gives it a bit more of a it, it just gives it more of like this is a wrestling promotion rather than a essentially a production company that makes wrestling that's well, right. I kind of feel that's kind of feel what the distinction with wwe is at this point in time so when i had suggested this discussion one of the immediate things in the forefront of my mind was we're starting to see, okay, the bloom is off the rose a little bit in that fans aren't being as forgiving. And I sort of feel like they're direct, you know, well, we're not going to be WWE and we're this and we're... That's starting to really bite them in the ass a lot because anytime they make a mistake, I feel like it's amplified. And I'm beginning to wonder... Was it smart to praise yourself so much on being the, oh, we're for the fans, we're the antithesis of WWE, instead of just saying, hey, we're a new wrestling company, and come check us out, and we hope you like what we bring you. Well, how do you guys feel about that now? Uh, obviously, there's many more years of this company that's going to influence, influence what we view it as in the grand scheme of things, but they really kind of made their name off the idea, even from all in, of just being not WWE. And there are some elements of this that I see them following WWE's footsteps, some of them that I see them improving, and some of them that I think that they're actually, they should take more from WWE. I think that the idea that they, they're essentially powered by the fact that they're not WWE is a little bit short-sighted. Because these people these people became successful outside of WWE and they're kind of trying to push that narrative rather than saying that they're not WWE and that's the reason why you should like us because we're not WWE. They're pushing the fact that these people became successful out, without having that machine behind them and we're giving them now another platform to just like promote that audience, use their current audience, build up an, another brand itself. I don't think they're... I don't think they're really. I know they've been done some stuff that's on the nose with the like the whole Cody smashing the the throne and stuff like that. But that's. I think they're tongue in cheek in that regard. They know WWE's the big fish. They like poking fun a little bit every now and again. I don't think that they're. I don't think they're harping on it too much though. I know certain characters like you have like Chris Jericho with the demo god stuff, but he knows that he's just pushing buttons with people because he knows that people care about those ratings and for some reason they think that that's 
the most important thing is who gets the most views every single week. And he plays on that because he knows how to work people. I, I think overall, the company is just trying to steer its own path. And it's taking influence from a lot of different areas. It's taking influence from WWE because WWE does do a lot of things right. They do a lot of things wrong as well, as, we've, as we usually discuss. But they do things right as well. And WCW did a lot of things right, even though that when they ended, they were an absolute shambles. TNA did things right, but they did a lot of things wrong as well. And I think they're trying to take their experiences from other promotions and what they know from the past and everything like that and trying to produce the best thing they possibly can. And they're making mistakes. Of course, they're making a lot of mistakes and they're doing things that are wrong as well. But I kind of feel like, not in every instance, but in a lot of instances, they're learning from it and growing with it. I think it's asking a lot for a, a one and a half or two year old company to already be like perfect in every single way. And I know they big themselves up quite a lot, but it's it's fans' perspective which is judging that rather than their own like it's 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 fans' perspective of them based on what they said rather than what they said is their issue at the moment. Well, I, I agree with everything you just said, but you and I and Tony, we look at things differently than many others will. And I'm starting to see a lot of complaints that, hey, wait a minute. You guys are supposed to be this big alternative. Why the fuck are your three champions people who just left WWE? Like, it's already starting to hurt them in that way that they're like, well, why is it that the revival are your tag champions when you know you have all these newer fresher acts right here i like it i like where they're going the only issue that i have with the initial beginnings of AEW are that they promised this whole sports centric thing and it's clearly been a lot of entertainment and gaga and that's fine with me because i like wrestling but i feel like their fan base feels betrayed I mean, we've gotten at this point, the ranking system's gone along long enough that we know that there are major, major flaws in it. Like, uh, any particular week, they could have the wrong actual numbers is one problem. The second is, even if you're not necessarily the number one contender, you can get a title match and it kind of defeats the purpose of the power rankings a little bit. We know that the people that are super into just the let me go see a match and that's all I'm interested in, they've got their positives and their negatives. And the people that want more storylines are complaining that it's just the matches and everything. And we do our complaints about both sides of things like, um, you know, we kind of talk here and there whenever we do our like predictions or anything like that, that sometimes it's like, OK, it's just a match for the sake of being a match and it's going to go for like 25 minutes and it doesn't need to go on that long. That's more on like the sports spectrum, I think. And I don't think that after all these years so far, I mean, all these years, like it's been 20 years, uh, I don't think that they have a firm idea of that part of their identity yet. And I feel like that's a mistake that they that they made is to try to market themselves as like we're the sports one without necessarily having an idea how they would pull that off. That's a negative for me is the the sports side of things. Yeah, I don't I don't think that that's been handled well. Like well, for example, I think one of the people who they have on their team that is 
very for the sports side of things is Jim Ross. And their fan base vehemently dislikes Jim Ross because he is trying to say, you know, what the fuck? But hey, ref, pay attention to the rules. The The core fan base of AEW is saying, well, that's a, that's a Jim Cornette mindset. Well, let's just see chaos and see a fun match. I think that there's too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, and they're all trying to bring their own flavor and it's just coming out very weird a lot of times. I think that there are some issues and there's differences in opinion because of their backgrounds. I mean, obviously they all worked in pretty much, well, all pretty much worked in some degree, the guys at the top at the very least in the Ring of Honor or New Japan Pro Wrestling, but they also have the different backgrounds where Kenny is very much influenced by the Tokyo, uh, the um, uh, DDT stuff, which was very heavily comedy based. You have the Young Bucks, which are very much heavily focused on good, solid tag team wrestling that involves a lot of spots and it involves a lot of action. And I think that, that the idea that they just have absolutely no idea about psychology is wrong, but they know what worked for them on the Indies and they're trying to push that more in their in their style of matches. Whereas you have Cody, who is a lot more traditional, and I think that he probably parallels Tony Khan a little bit more with that regards. Like him and Tony probably are the ones that see eye to eye, to eye on most things. So there, there probably are like a good amount of differences of opinion. And they kind of, I agree with what you're saying with the sense that the sports aspect of it has been lost slightly because the rankings don't make much of any sense because people win and lose matches they either don't go up they don't go down they stay on there even if they haven't wrestled for a while yeah Britt baker it, yeah it, it, it's a good narrative device in order to say that this person has an opportunity because they're high on the power rankings but they don't give any indication of why they're high on the power rankings based on what they've done prior to it i think it would almost work for them to try and simplify it and streamline it a bit more why you can have the power rankings table, but it's just a sense of, okay, we have a match at the, if they're doing like the thing where they reset it each year, just have a match at the start of the year, which kind of determines, or a tournament at the start of the year that determines your ranking position at the start of the year. And then if you win, if you keep winning matches, you stay high up. If you lose matches, you risk falling down. But you have to, if you're going to stick to that system, you have to be dedicated to it and book around it. And it's a booking crutch. It's a serious booking crutch if, unless you're going to stick to it and you have a plan mapped out for basically the whole year, which you can't have because things just change on dime and people get injured and other stuff happens that you can't control. So you can't, you, if you want to do this sort of thing, you just kind of have to hope that people aren't going to be looking at it that closely and hoping for the best and just say, okay, it's this guy's the topic because he's top of the parent kids. So, okay, we'll just go along with it. I think that they could do something where you have the TNT Championship in particular because of the way that Cody ran it just being okay guys can just compete for the tnt championship if they just win number one contenders matches or something to that effect or they win some sort of qualifying match to get an opportunity for it rather than needing to go by the power rankings because that would mirror tie into the idea that cody would just get give shots to people like eddie kingston or stuff like that you just have these guys come in they win matches against one of your jobbers and then they get an opportunity that's all you I, need to do for that one i'll say this i think Perhaps working against AEW, even though it's grown the promotion so quickly, is how fast things are moving. This promotion went from 
All right, so we're going to do a pay-per-view, and we'll do two smaller shows that we'll give away for free. And then all of a sudden, it's like we're on TNT, and we've got this guy and that guy. The things are moving so fast that they're not able to establish uh, an identity for themselves. And the thing that they had put out in the press releases, because they thought that's what they would be able to deliver on at the time, it's just flat out false. Like Orange Cassidy is now a main eventer in that space, and he's certainly not a sports presentation guy. I'd argue, you know, revival are very sports presentation. I would argue, you know, um, Jericho knows his role very well, but is he too involved? Like he's another voice in creative at times and is he too involved because does anybody really want to tell chris jericho no probably not but is it all just too much like the one good thing about WWE, as much as it pisses us all off and has those writers you know throwing out everything they've worked on is at least we know at the end of the day who do you blame for this well blame vince because everything stops with vince i'm not sure everything stops with tony khan and AEW. Even Tony Khan's not really 100% the owner. No, it's, it's, it's his family side of things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, ultimately, if his dad said, like, no, this is not happening or whatever, he's the one that's bankrolling the most of it, so. I, I think that, I mean, it's it's an issue. It's a catch-22 situation because the big appeal to AEW for a lot of the wrestlers, obviously, in fact, they've got a big platform, so that's a good benefit. But it's also the fact that they have more control over their characters. Right. Whereas in WWE, complete, I mean, they can obviously make suggestions and stuff like that, but the overall, like Rob says, the buck stops with Vince. If Vince says you're going to be this character, you're going to be that character. You can try and tweak it every so often, and you can, well, until recently, maybe try and push your own character on social media and stuff like that. But yeah. at the end of the day, you're confined to that character that Vince assigned you. And so with AEW, part of the appeal to wrestlers joining them from WWE is that they have that creative freedom, that they have a chance to express themselves. But if everybody is trying to put, get their own character over, it means that there's a lot of competing. Well, I think that I should, and I don't think they're like this because I haven't really seen too much evidence of people saying, well, I should definitely win this match because it would hurt my character if I lose that sort of thing. I don't think there's a lot of that going on, but I feel like there's, like I say, I need this segment or I need this moment to do this sort of thing because that was what my character would do, even if it doesn't seem to make a lot of, it wouldn't make sense in other aspects of the company or there's not really any room to grow with it. I think that one of the problems with that is, the idea that people are saying I need to change my character because we've seen a lot of characters just kind of like they try something out for like three weeks and then it becomes like all right no now we're doing something different whether it's been like feuds that are dropped or tag teams that seem to come out of nowhere and then disappear again or like for instance Cole Cabana Cole Cabana has not been in this company long at all Yet he's gone from top guy, interesting that he pops up, to, all right, he's just going to be a mid-carder, to he's going to start uh, feuding with Kip Sabian, to now he's in the Dark Order. And I don't get the 
semblance that there's any creative direction for a lot of these characters. I feel like it's just sort of like, well, wouldn't it be interesting if we got this person? Well, I think that's, I mean, I think that's a, a different way. To, I think there's too much creative direction. I think there's too many people throwing ideas at the wall and saying, let's do this, let's well, do that. And that's leading to, I know it's not, not exactly direction, but there's too much creative input. Let's say. Yeah, too much creative input, not enough creative direction. No, Nobody's hearing all these ideas and saying, let's do that one and see it through, as opposed to let's try these eight things out and see what happens. I mean, like um, some of these tag teams, like I'm looking at right now, like the list of tag teams that were, uh, or different people that are uh, had competed at All In. SoCal Uncensored, you got Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky, and you got Christopher Daniels in a different match with Stephen Amell or whatever. SCU, in this, the time frame of the creation of this company and what we're at now, SCU came in as, well, they're pretty much a guarantee to come into the company, and they did. They became the first tag team champions. They lost those titles. And we've been kind of seeing this trend of Scorpio Sky being his breakout singles competitor and Kazarian and Daniels being the tag team. Yet, I don't get much of a sense that there's a plan to do anything. It's almost just the same as what it was at the beginning, which was they're a great tag team and Scorpio somebody to invest in. Over the course of these two years, not much is different from All In. I And I feel like, I'll take a Joey Janela, for example. He was one of the first guys, if not the first male, to say, I'm in with all the wrestling. And they've done jack shit with Joey Janela. Now, granted... I say this on September 9th at 3.53 p.m. Tonight, he's got a tag match where he's going to team with Sonny Kiss against Jericho and Swagger or Hager. But I actually think that by the end of it, we're talking Kiss versus Jericho. Now, I don't like I don't know if it's Joey Janela, his style doesn't fit or whatever it is. But this guy came in as a big deal. He fought Adam Page at All In and one of the main singles matches and two years later he feels like an afterthought in aew and still runs these gcw shows where suddenly he pops up in gcw and he's treated like a god oh even the difference between uh joey janela was with penelope ford back then and now she's gonna have her segment tonight where it's like the start of a whole uh and granted that's like a personal thing i know but but it goes to show you how times change (laughs) Yeah, like nothing about Joey Janela going into All Elite Wrestling still stands today. Well, but, but that's kind of the the thing, isn't it? It's, it's like you were just saying, times change. They've probably looked at, well, I say they've probably looked, but they they might have looked at demographics and just think that maybe Janela's not that big of a draw to a wider demographic. He's good on his in his front of his crowd, his GCW crowd. But then outside of that, he just doesn't appeal to a mass audience. It could be and the same I, with a lot, a lot of other people, like exactly. whether, it's, whether it's SEO or anything like that. Obviously, things are going to change, and you can't push everyone at the same time. You have to decide who your A players are, who your B players are, and everything everything else in between, all the way down to like your Peter Avalons and Brandon Cutlers, like all the way down to that level. You have to establish what a tier is and you can only push so many people at a time maybe joe Janela would get will get a chance in the, the next six months or whatever but right now it's not his time to have a story 
I agree. I just think that given his positioning on the first press conference and on the uh, pilot episode, essentially, which was all in, I think they saw more money in Janela mm-hmm. than... Yeah. yeah, I, could, I completely... I, yeah, I completely agree with the fact they probably did see more in Joe Janella, but now things are different and they don't. And that's how it works, that's essentially. Works. No, I, yeah. I get that. And it's I just interesting to see the 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 difference between that. Well, well, like like you talked about, you talked about Orange Cassidy earlier. You said that now he's like the main event guy that was feuding with Jericho. Do you think they envisioned that when he first signed with the company? Probably not. Do you oh, think absolutely. they envisioned that Adam Page would get this over this quickly? When he was well, when there were crowds hmm. in place, he was most one of the most over guys of the company. They probably I didn't think that expect that to happen so far. In a different way, I yeah. think that they thought he would be over, but he'd be over as well. He's the lead, so of course he's over. Whereas he got over for being a compelling character. Yeah. Well, let's look at some of those names. Uh, I'm just gonna start naming some some different people that were on this All In card. Uh, we are just talked about SCU, and you know they're part of the company that's no surprises and all that stuff. Uh, the Briscoe brothers over the course of this time, we haven't seen them at all. And because they'll never leave ring of honor, Tony. They, I mean, any of these people that were in this all in spectrum, there was a chance that they could have gone to all elite wrestling. And when we were reviewing that, it was kind of like, well, if they end up making this other company, maybe they even partner up with Ring of Honor. Maybe it ends up being like an offshoot. Maybe it ends up taking over Ring of Honor. Maybe, it, you know, like we were talking about all of these different kinds of scenarios. And I'm not at all surprised to see that the Briscoe brothers are still in Ring of Honor. I haven't seen much or anything of them yet. It seems like that's pretty much like ride or die. That's part of that company sort of thing. So in hindsight, not at all surprised that that didn't pan out to be anything more than that. No. And in hindsight, it's for the best. I think they, especially with the, the audience, they sometimes have the people that are just like, will criticize every single detail. You don't want the Briscoes on, on your roster when that sort of thing is happening because mm-hmm. they are, they, they are complicated to say the least. Now, See, on the one hand, I, I would feel like Briscoe Brothers would do fantastic in AEW because of uh, they're one of the best tag teams in the world. But I think what Callum might be referring to is that their love of all things Southern, and maybe that's not yeah. the best. I don't for... think. Yeah, I don't think walking to the ring with the Confederate flag is probably going to be the. I mean, the I, message I would... they want to get across. Maybe uh, if I wasn't proud and I wouldn't be powerful was originally written for them. <laughs> Well, you never know. There's uh, the Battle Royal people. It was won by Flip Gordon. They made a big deal about Flip Gordon. Haven't seen Flip Gordon. (laughs) Here's why. Flip Gordon, and I don't feel any guilt in saying this, is only a thing because of being the elite. Flip Gordon got over by being essentially their bitch on the show. That was his gimmick. You know, yeah. they would kind of bully him in the locker room. And, of course, it was like, oh, you lovable little scamp. Flip Gordon today is now, like, has now exposed himself as, like, a flat earther and uh, lots of things that are considered problematic by, again, the core audience of AEW. But I, I want to bring this back. Are they too openly, we want to be the progressive company to where they're going to kind of eat shit a couple times. Now, I'm not saying 
not getting Flip Gordon is eating shit. I'm just saying, a uh, grand scheme of things, does it hurt them when, you know, hey, we're the progressive company. Okay, well, why haven't you done this with women? Or we're a progressive company. Okay, well, why is Justin Roberts still your ring announcer? Like, it hurts them a lot and very quickly. I, I think overall, you kind of have to take this perspective that those people that are complaining on Twitter aren't your core audience. They are Except- your they are they are your hardcore audience, and that means in the same way with WWE, they'll bitch and they'll complain and they'll moan every single opportunity they get, but they'll keep watching because they don't know any better. See, but I saw a video with Sami Zayn returning, and he said something so well that we have no real audience right now. All we have is the internet, so we don't have that separate gauge anymore. So right now, I feel like it's hurting them even more so because of the current circumstances. Maybe, you know, when things get back to normal, that can become true again. But right now, as we talk, it's really hard. I think that's more of a long-term thing, even past this two-year mark. Because I think that we're still, like I said, we're still in that kind of phase of like getting to know things and since the company and wwe and any company for that matter at this point everybody kind of hit a little bit of a pause with covid nothing seems the same everything's going to take a while to go back to normal and then when we go back to normal it's going to take a while to get readjusted again and it's going to be looked at as like this era was this weird little bubble I think you can get away with a lot of things during this time frame. And I think that you can test a lot of things out too and blame the negatives on that. It's weird. So like, for instance, a Jimmy Havoc, uh, he was brought into the company and over the course of this time frame, when the company existed and when they started pushing him and then he didn't really get too far as a push, but he's gone now. I think that five years from now, people won't even think Jimmy Havoc was a part of this company. And a little problem like that just gets swept under the rug. Yeah, that's pretty easy to just get rid of. He didn't win any championships. He doesn't have any lineage really in the history. The only thing that he really did was be Kip Sabian second for a while. Right. It's not like he he was the first ever champion and they got to go like, ah, crap, we can't talk about that anymore. You can sweep him under the rug pretty quickly. The only uh, major boom with Havoc was he was featured in a major matchup last year's all out with actually Joe Janela and Darby Allen, as in here's the three crazy white dudes who are gonna do some crazy shit, and you're gonna like this. And yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. more of an Allen thing than anything else, yeah. though. And that's and that's like really, I know it's like it's something that people look at us first all all uh, all out, so we need to like have a bit of like we can look back at that, and then you just have to explain who Jimmy Havoc was. But it's the same thing for any big show that WWE ever put on for the first time, there's going to be tons of people on it that have got, like, problematic backstories and history and stuff like that. I, I always go back to the argument that, like, you basically can't work in wrestling if you don't have a little bit of a a rep in certain areas. It's like, yeah. people, like they're, they're making promises. Like, they are going to break promises because they're a wrestling promotion. Every wrestling promotion breaks promises to the fans. Yeah. Just the way, just the way you don't, you don't get anywhere in the wrestling industry without uh, lying to your fans. In the same way, most businesses don't get anywhere without lying to the people that buy from, buy from them. Oh, every every single business in the entire planet lies. It's just, and and, and I'll, and I'll, 
yeah, I agree with what Rob says. That I think they do listen too much to Joe Schmo on the internet, and that's to their detriment at the moment. Or the, yeah, just, just or, as yeah, an or, example, or Jane Schmo on the internet, <laughs> but um, and and that's to their detriment because they pivot things too quickly. They don't let things breathe out because the because of that insight that they get from people immediately and they're already on the pulse and they're already trying to fix things immediately to be the progressive company but i think overall they need to just be a little bit more they need to just let things play out the way they want to see it and things will go wrong still by doing that and they will get draw criticism for some of their stories but they should trust their instincts more than just immediately see that somebody said something bad on twitter about them and just try and pivot away from that immediately here's something to talk about as far as uh things changing over time dark order mm. they went yeah. from really interesting to everybody hates them to now one of their acts that honestly i'm not opposed to i think when they first showed up they had a little bit of that but that butcher in the blade syndrome of like oh my god don't you know who the yeah and it's just like, yeah. Yeah. Somebody like me, it. it's like, oh, this is Stu Grayson and Evil Uno. And I'm like, oh, it's two guys. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't yeah. feel major at first. And then with the Exalted One tease, I thought they were going for something great. I didn't necessarily care. I know a lot of people were like, well, I want it to be Marty. I wouldn't have cared if it was Dr. Luther. You know, like as long as it helped the group. Now, they went in a weird direction with it being like, Brody Lee, but he's also kind of a businessman who's going to be like a parody of Vince. And I actually, I like the Dark Order right now. I, I appreciate... Yeah. Go, Go ahead. ahead. I was, was going to say, I, I appreciate the the Dark Order, what they're doing right now, and I, I know a lot of the stuff that I was mentioned that I don't like with the fact that they bring in too much stuff from being the Elite, and I know they're a lot of fun on being the Elite for what they do, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't bleed over into the week-to-week shows. But I think that they're a group that has a lot of character and has got a mixture of like feuds with other people in the company. Like they're feuding with the Rhodes family right now, and but they have also inner feuds with between um, like the Cockabana situation right now. And I think that what from where they were at, which is essentially just a bunch of guys in masks beating up the elite and trying to get them over that way, which just absolutely sucked because no one cared about them and when they originally debuted and they were just what were their names though the super smash brothers right yeah so yeah so it's a bunch of people that only really hardcore wrestling fans would even have known who they are and they're just arriving they're beating up some more established names and they have these men that they that evil uno sits on or whatever it just looked hokey and if it would just been kept to those two then they needed a name and Brody lee is a good name to have Maybe they had someone else in mind when they originally formed it, but Brody Lee, I think, has added a lot of steer to that group as well as presence. So with Brody Lee, their act really works. I still don't think Brody Lee's the best option for it, but he definitely upgraded the group considerably. Because if they would have been exactly the way that they were at the beginning of this, I would still hate them quite a I'm bit. One, I'm a, yeah, and one thing I do like about them is the fact that they're recruiting, and right? They're getting bigger. And that's what a cult should be doing. It's not the Wyatt family, where it's just the same three or four people over again. Mm-hmm. What a great cult they are. I mean, they got Daniel Bryan for, what, two weeks? And then they well, like, they're, lost they're, him. They're a family. They grew up in the swamp. Yeah, I know. But it's just the idea of, like, if, you, if your gimmick is you're a cult gimmick, 
then you need to recruit people and you need to steer people to change their own characters by doing it. But uh, one of the most interesting things I think they did, and I know they did this on, um, I, I think they did this on Dynamite. It might have been on Dark, but I think it was on Dynamite. Was Anna Jay immediately like she came in like her first like big match was against uh, Avalon. With Abaddon, and, yeah. Abaddon, Abaddon, sorry. And Abaddon destroyed her, like, like pretty straightforwardly. And then because she's a loser, she immediately got recruited to Dark Order, and now she's got a bit more, like, presence about her. Yeah, she she's got a purpose everything. at this point now. Yeah, she's got, yeah, she got a purpose, and that's 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 good. They should take people that are on loser streak. I wouldn't be surprised if you get Joey Janela to join that group at some point, or some other people. It can be a running thing for a good year or two of just this guy, you lose people who get annoyed with the way that Brody Lee cheats them so you leave the Dark Order, but then you recruit other quote-unquote losers and jobbers from the company and you give them purpose and direction and maybe give them a bit more emphasis through being with part of the Dark Order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've done a good job when it comes to that because John Silver's funny on BTE. Anna Jay serving a role in the women's division. Taekwon Chi just got signed today, so I mean... She seems like she's going to be a part of that too. So maybe even like uh, yeah, they got a tag team thing. Signing with AEW on your bingo card because I did not before that tag tournament. No, I, I figured I know, she I, probably I, would go somewhere like that. Once she got released, I was like, you know, she's going to either AEW or she's going to pop up an Impact. I, I thought I thought that she would. I thought that she was going to leave wrestling entirely, or she was going to yeah. not leave it entirely, but maybe just take a break for a year or two or whatever because. She has her modeling side of things, so I think that I thought that that was something that she was going to pursue for a little while. But from again, I don't want to move too far in tangent, but from what I saw in the tag team tournament, I mean, she's not great. Let's put it that way. She's not like yeah. she's not going to revolutionize. She's not going to revolutionize the uh, women's division, but she looks like she wrestles different in AEW than she did in WWE. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that how that's changed in a matter of a couple of weeks. Whereas, as far as I'm aware, she didn't. She didn't do any wrestling between being released from NXT and joining AEW, right. and yet she's just she's just wrestling different. And I don't know how to really. Maybe explain it's because it. like she's allowed to do more with Her what she was taught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if she does, because you do that, and she continues to get better, and she has a bit more of a presence due to this Dark Order thing, then yeah, it's 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 a positive. That's why I think that the Dark Order is good because it gives less prominent people a chance to be part of a collective thing, even though the whole collective is really just a vehicle for Brody Lee to get more over. Well, let's talk about some other people like uh, Conchi, because again, looking back on all in some names that went there, some names that went nowhere, some names that just disappeared entirely. Uh, Moose, not a part of AEW. Impact. No, very much tied to impact. Very much tied to impact where that's not too much of a shock. Brandon Cutler, in this time span of All In versus the creation of All Elite, I mean, he gets his contract. He gets a secondary contract. They put that video up online before about him being all, you know, emotional about finally getting, like, a job that is, like, stable and everything. He's gone from uh, being, like, a a no-name to being a jobber, but he's being one of the prominent jobbers, and he's got a story. I mean, he's going to be fighting Peter Avalon at some point for who can win their first match, (laughs) you know, like... I, th- I like that because I feel like he's someone who knows his place. He knows he's never going to be a top drawer, or a top guy in the company, but he's what you want in a jobber, which is someone who it's good to watch but get beat up. And he's like, and he's competent and safe in the ring. That's what you want with a jobber. And you can tell that he's having fun. So yeah. it's not like he's 
a good enough jobber. Knocking down, knocking down like Tony Khan's door and saying, "Why aren't you pushing me more?" You probably right. that. Okay. Because it's, it's think... a little bit weird when you see somebody and they're a good jobber, but you can tell that they hate it. Mm. And like a Heath Slater, Slater's great at losing, but you could tell he never, ever, ever imagined that in his career he would be the guy that just gets his ass beat all the time. But I, I think that that's what's great about a Brandon Cutler. We need more people who aren't afraid to play their role. I think there are way too many people who all want to be the world champion. Now, granted, you should get into wrestling to want to be a world champion. But once you're in it for a while, you should understand that everybody has a role to play. And in some cases, you know, I believe it was Al Snow who said Barry Horowitz was the most important person on every roster because he made everybody look like a million bucks. Right. There's uh, Chuck Taylor, Trent Beretta, best friends, big I part of the tag division. They will. They'll win it. I mean, maybe it's a couple months from now or so, but they've firmly established themselves as a prominent tag team. I think they've um, they've been heavily overshadowed by Orange Cassidy in the best. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Orange Cassidy is not a part of this card. The all in card. No. Wasn't he in the Battle Royal? Not according to Wikipedia. Yeah. Oh, no, no. He was in the Double or Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's where he got picked up. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. yeah, it was just a guy who we thought would just be a bit of fun to join the company, but yeah, it's risen up to be very prominent, and that's based on just the reaction that he got, and he's gone like online and stuff like that. So they all, I know we were saying like they listen to the audience too much, but then when they hear that someone's getting over, they run with them. They're not just going to shy away from it in the same way. Like, oh, um, again, I don't want to make too many WWE comparisons, but like this guy is getting over organically. Well, that he was not getting over the way that we wanted him to get over, so he's. Yeah, let's uh, cut his legs out from underneath him. I think in the case of Cassidy, it's the exact opposite with what we were saying with Janela. He got over with casuals, and casuals were immediately like, this is the silliest thing I've ever seen, but I want more of it. And they said, well, there's our hook to get new people in, because that was a lot of the gold, not just to get lapsed fans back, but to get people who've never watched wrestling before into professional wrestling. And whether I like it or not, you know, guys like Cassidy, guys who do the the comedy stuff have done that. And I think my hope is that the feud with Jericho and stuff gets Cassidy to the next level to where he can also be a serious threat and still have fun. There's uh, Rocky Romero. Uh, Japan, so. Yeah, I mean, like booking New Japan partially. <laughs> yeah. There's Cheeseburger. We haven't seen him since then. Very much tied to Ring of Honor. See, here's the thing: they uh, Ring of Honor helped put a lot of all in together because they thought that was going to be their big break. Yeah. They were gonna. It's gonna be oh, check out all these dudes in ROH. They remember they were doing the whole. Well, they're going to headline in the garden and all that. They Ring of Honor thought that this was going to be it for them. Wonder if, uh, you know, wrestling is 2020 with the benefit of hindsight, if ROH would have been okay with this or if they would have been like, probably nah. I think, I, think, I think maybe in hindsight of 2020, a lot of wrestlers from ROH would have probably been happier if AEW had just swallowed Ring of Honor and just yeah. them, did part of it instead. 
I don't think I everyone was like I don't think everyone would have been like that, but I think a lot of them would have been happier with the idea that okay, we get this this prime slot on TNT and we get maybe paid a bit more and we get to be part of this this big revolution company. thing. Especially the, with the uh, 2020 and uh, well, a, a lot of 2019, 2020 that Ring of Honor actually had, which saw yeah. their company just fall off the face of the earth. It's just another sign of the idea that how not so much how right it was, but why it made sense that they branded this thing as the all elite wrestling because once the elite went out of ring of honor ring of honor basically just didn't have existed anymore <laughs> after the exit of guys like steen and generico ring of honor survived the last i would say five to seven years and you can tell me if i'm wrong callum by being the american home of the bullet club and that pretty much yeah. with the elite and when the elite left and scu left it was like nobody cares about ring of honor anymore yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was just like it was fully down to the elite, but they were definitely like prominent figures in all this side of things. But there was a time where, like, at that time, Ring of Honor had a lot of buzz going for it because, not to mention just the quality of matches, but you had Jay Lethal as this this amazing double champion and him finally getting his just dues off just being a comedy guy, pretty much in Impact. You had uh, people like Michael Elgin and Adam. Adam Cole's obviously Bullet Club, but before that he was Kingdom and stuff like that. So they they did have a lot of parts going for it. Then, but then once the Elite left, you kind of just saw how threadbare and characterless a lot of the rest of the company was. Right, because what you're talking about, you know, when the Elite left, Cole's already gone, and I I think they were surviving on the yeah, definitely by the end of it. Lethal. Definitely by the end of it, it was all Cody and the Bucks. That was their that was their roster essentially. Yep. And, every, and and now, once they leave, you just left with the also-rans. And Ring of Honor suffered hugely for it. But I, I guess that was, yeah, like I say, a lot of them probably would have been happier. Like, to tie, just to wrap up the Ring of Honor discussion, I genuinely believe that when people talk about G1 Supercard, they're not talking about, oh, man, the Ring of Honor... Uh, Matt Taven winning the Ring of Honor world title. They're talking about the New Japan portions of that and Kotobushi and Naito and, you know, all that stuff. And they thought, oh, man, the Ring of Honor banner is going to get to promote Kenny Omega versus Kazuchi Okada, and it didn't happen. It just didn't. We got some other people that uh, were in this battle royal that just went straight to AEW. Um, Marco Stunt, Austin and Billy Gunn. Cole Cabana, we talked about a little bit. Brian Cage, now a part of the company, which he wasn't a few months ago. But it seems like they tapped him from the very beginning. A very good pickup. Punishment Martinez, now the NXT North American champion. Yep. So that's a it's a big change when it comes to that. Yeah, to the other direction. Uh, Jimmy Jacobs, not a part of this. Impact. Bully Ray, not a part of it. Uh, very much tied to Ring of Honor. Tommy Dreamer, not a part of it. Impact. Hurricane hired by WWE, fired by WWE in the meantime. Rehired? Is he rehired yet or no? I don't think so. Not that oh. I'm aware of, but I think that. Well, to, well, let's put it this way: he'll get picked up as a producer role if he if he hasn't been re-signed by WWE. He'll get picked up as a producer role by either Impact or and he'll be doing AEW. No, well, and he'll be doing uh, Casino Battle Royale spots as the Hurricane. Mm. Uh, Jordan Grace, not a part of. Uh, AEW. I yeah, wish that this woman would have went to AEW. She has been nothing but gold for Impact, 
and AEW could have used that on the women's division. Well, let's go ahead. As I say, as far as I'm aware, she signed a a, a reasonably long-term contract with Impact Wrestling. I think it was like three years or something like that. So I'm hoping we're we're down to one at this point. AEW for I don't we'll see her in AEW for a while. She's good. Yeah, she's very good. She's awesome. I don't know too much about her, so I can't say anything. But uh, let's kind of uh, talk about the whole women's division in general because they, at All In, they had this uh, match between Tessa Blanchard, Dr. Britt Baker, Chelsea Green, and Madison Rain. Now, since then, uh, nobody other than Britt, Britt Baker, Baker out of these five people that we've talked about are in the company. I mean, there's like Penelope Ford wasn't a part of All In and Brady Rhodes was, you know, that's not the same kind of thing we're talking about. But like since then, Britt Baker, she very clearly was one of their priorities going forward. And she had a couple bumps in the road. She seems like she's going to be heading towards back, uh, heading towards the championship. But that didn't work out, I think, as well as they were hoping that it would. I think it worked out better. Well, in terms of just speaking of Britt Baker, I think it worked out better because she was going to be the vanilla babyface, and now she's got all this character as a heel. I think that their women's division initially in their minds was Baker, Green, uh, Blanchard, uh, Tennille was on commentary for that one. Don't forget that. Um Obviously, the women's division from the Japan side of things, because Kenny Omega is a big part of this. And you could tell by Riho and Hikaru Shida and Emi Sakura and every, all the other people that they brought in, that was one of their that, things that they were going for. I know we've obviously discussed this being in the past about the idea that they wanted to push Joshi, Joshi pretty heavily because of Kenny's influence. But there is method behind that idea in the sense that you don't outside of we, we've talked about how great NXT's women division is and they continue to be, but outside of WWE, you don't find better women's wrestling than in Stardom and other like the Japanese Joshi promotions. So if they wanted to produce like really high quality matches, that was the market to tap into. I agree with that, but the problem was they didn't load it up enough on the front end with you know domestic talent. And part of that is because, you know, Blanchard ended up with Impact, and Tennille did as well, and Green obviously went to WWE. Green, Peraza was signed to NXT. They made her pull out of this card to go to NXT, and she has since ended up with Impact. I think in their mind's eye, they saw so much different. They thought Awesome Kong would be better off. They thought right. they had Kylie Ray. They thought they had Aja Kong. They thought they had Aja Kong. Uh, Kylie Ray was probably going to be the baby face of the division. And again, it fell apart. So their women's division has been a little snake bit. But I think now is the time to just really load up on some girls that are American, you know, based and get a lot of buzz online. And just as a make good, because as good as the Joshi are, not people weren't popping for the Joshi matches just because they were good matches. They wanted story. I think you need to remember your average male wrestling fan who loves, like I can sit here with Callum and watch Okada and Omega all day. And, you know, we love that stuff, but 
women wrestling fans want character and persona and story in addition to a lot of time. And they weren't getting a lot of that from AEW. And I hope that's something that changes really soon. But uh, So the problem with that is, though, where is the talent to sign? I know there are a few names out there in the indie circuit that are good, but none of them are really that prominent in terms of reputation so far. All of the top women's wrestlers at the moment seem to be signed with either NXT, WWE, or Impact. Hey, you haven't signed Nicole Savoy yet. Yeah, I know, and nobody ever will because you keep bringing it up. I know. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's me. Maybe it's my endorsement. But, but, I, but, but even Nicole Savoy... That's not a name that anybody really outside the hardcore wrestling fans will really. I'd say, oh, she was the girl from the main Young Classic. That's probably the extent right. people will know her that regard. There's nobody who's really huge that they could sign up. Like, if you would sign someone like Jordan Grace, Jordan Grace has enough of a reputation through her work with me and with Impact. They're like, okay, that's a prominent signing, bringing Jordan Grace in. Same if you would bring in Ty Valkyrie or Rosemary. You have, like, they have a bit of weight behind them. Especially if you were to sign, like, someone from NXT straight out. AEW, I would I sign Taya. That... I think Taya's fantastic. I, you but know, you should sign all these people, but they're not available, and that's the issue. I, I know that. Really, if they could, if they could somehow just absorb the Impact Women's Division, if they could just absorb but, Impact, I think they'd be doing. But, but that's not... the yeah, but that's like the whole bigger issue: the fact that, from what I can at least gather, or from what I see, none of those women seem unhappy. To be right. part of Impact Wrestling, and they all not, seem to love cause... it because they're given prominent positions. Exactly. They're given stories like half of not I would say half of Impact, but a good solid like thirty to forty percent of Impact shows typically are women's wrestling base. They're given a lot of story, a lot of character, a lot of development. So if they're just into this for their own like their own creative freedom and a chance to really express themselves, then they're actually going to get a lot more of that on Impact than they do in AEW because. As far as I've seen from AEW, AEW doesn't push their women that much, and they don't get a lot of time on TV, and that's been a lot of source of criticism online. But there's also the problem with the fact that AEW does pretty good viewers, and every time they put a women's match on there, their viewership tumbles. And because no one, and I know it's a catch for two. Like if you don't push the women, no one's going to care about it. So of course they're going to have viewers drop. But then if you put the women on there and the viewers drop, then there's so, so then there's an issue. Yeah, it's catch like, okay, you're right. And so, yeah, so you have but to. The, and then you think to you think to yourself, is like, are they wrong for that? And I say no. Like I, no. It, well, I think what they need is one really hot women's feud. Like re- one that really captures the imagination, one that they could almost headline a pay-per-view with. They need one of that. They haven't had one of those yet. They've had like good stuff with Britt Baker doing her promo stuff like that. They've had that good Thunder Rosa and Hikari Shida match and all this other stuff. But they need this, that one few that really captures people's attention. Like, wow, these people just really want to just like fight and beat the shit out of each other. I'm so excited to see this match. Here's what I would do. Now, October 24th, to the best of my knowledge... Diana Perrazzo is not signed. Now, October 24th is Bound for Glory. She will face Kylie Ray. On October 25th, I would sign Diana Perrazzo because she she's the anchor. You can anchor the division around her. Now, the, the shitty thing is there is no... Because of, obviously, things we've talked about already, you can't sign Blanchard because... She's got a crappy reputation for having said something racist in the past. And as a 
progressive company, AEW is going to stay far away from her. If you could get Deanna Perrazzo and Tessa Blanchard, you'd be doing better immediately. I think that that's where it comes in, where they need more so even than a good feud that gets people talking. They need a name. They don't even need to have necessarily a feud in mind. But like, of course, this isn't going to happen. But theoretically speaking, if you could take Becky Lynch and put her in AEW, the women's division, suddenly people start forgiving a lot of things. People start saying that it's better than what it is. People start paying more attention and all that. And that goes for a lot of different names in WWE. Like, uh, you know, it could be a Sasha Banks. It could be Bailey. It could be Charlotte. Obviously, Charlotte would be like, Jesus, God, they, they signed Charlotte. Like, what's going on yeah. here? But like, yeah. you know, you can take an Alexa Bliss or you can take, uh, I mean, maybe even like a Naomi would make a oh, big splash. Like, if they yeah. got Naomi, they would be rolling. With a, that, yeah, I mean, but like, I mean, but Naomi's not on the same level as like a Charlotte, but she's still like a big enough name that that could get the ball rolling for a lot of these I, things. I would argue the point that if you picked up Naomi today, she'd be bigger than picking up a Charlotte because you're picking up Naomi in the wake of her. Naomi deserves better fans, stuff. Yeah, the fans wanting more for her. But yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, I completely agree with you. They need like this name, but it's the issue of the fact that obviously names are very available. But you got to look back to the very beginning of all elite formation is the idea that look at the names they signed on the men's side in terms of their reputation: Cody, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Chris Jericho, uh, Pack, or Adam Page to a certain extent. You had like Orange Cassidy, who's big on the indies and things like that. So you have like this whole collection of people who are kind of not so much ready-made, but they're people that will immediately draw eyes and attention. The women's side of things, you have Austin Kong, who's well past her prime, but it's still like a decent name. Britt Baker, who's only really known by people on the indies and as Adam Cole's girlfriend, at mm -hmm. least at that point in time. And then it's no one else, really. Yeah. Because all the other names are just people they had to, they had to build themselves to be prominent rather than having people that are ready-made to do. It's what it's that balancing act, the idea that you do sign John Moxley if he becomes available because he's going to bring a lot of eyes because he's got a reputation behind him. You don't want to make all your entire thing like WWE rejects because then, then you feel a lot like TNA. But you, but then you need at least a couple of them to get the ball rolling. And in uh, All League Wrestling's women division, you have nobody. You have only people that you could build up. And that's why it's so difficult to get. That's why it's so difficult for them to almost like give them time because, well, it was twofold. One, they don't have that reputation behind them that people are going to watch immediately, and so they have to start building them up organically. And secondly, a lot of the women on the other side, as painful as it's like, aren't that good of wrestling. Aren't they're, that they're good not. of wrestling? Yeah. And yeah. they don't get enough experience because they don't do stuff on the road and they don't have house shows and stuff like that. So they can only have at most one or two matches a week on Dark and Dynamite. And you don't really want to have people learning and getting better and developing while they're on TV at the same time because you pick up their flaws and they get reputations for being bad immediately and they're harder to scrub away than starting off good and getting worse, essentially. And in fairness, now, we are not women. That's That goes without saying, I think. But it seems to me like there's almost a fear of saying, hey, guys, these girls are just not good. They're just not that good. And it becomes this thing of, oh, well, they need to be given a chance. And it's like, but but 
How many be chances? <laughs> but but do they though? Like I like Big Swole. Big Swole to me has charisma. She doesn't, she's not perfect in the ring, but she's got charisma. She's got character. She's got stuff that we can, you know, lat- latch onto. I think, and this is fantasy booking, but it's gonna come down to whoever that first major name is available. You gotta swipe her up. Whether it's Diana, Candice LeRae would do great in that market. You, you need. Go ahead. You have to I pay. Agree. You have to pay top dollar to get a big female wrestling star in your company, and I'd say pay them the same that you're paying your top men, because that's what you need. If you're gonna, it's either you're gonna build the women's wrestling up organically, and that's gonna take time. It probably won't reach. I mean, look at like WWE in terms of when that transition to the women's evolution that took years, and it's gonna take years in AEW to build up a star, as it were. <laughs> to finally like be at the head of the AEW division, whether that's Britt Baker eventually, or you get Riho back and maybe she can do that. Because I think Riho was on the way to reaching that status when this COVID thing happened and she was... I don't. To, unfortunately. I, I think that... Yeah, I, looking at the reactions that she was getting and the numbers that she was doing compared to the women's side of things nowadays in their segments, she was very, very popular. I feel I like uh, if you look at All In, they threw the women that were the best possible ones available that they could get some attention for. And then they, when they created the company, they immediately alienated the audience with going with like a Riho type where. I, I think that's completely, I think that's completely false. I think that she was the most popular by the year. I think she, by the turn of the year, she was the most popular women in that. Well, it's because they, she was the champion. They built her up. No, it's because she was organically really, she was organically like someone to get behind. I think, again... I feel like if they would have had Blanchard or if they would have had Chelsea Green or any of those, they would have gone with them immediately over somebody like Ariho. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that you would push them ahead of them because they had a reputation prior to that. But I also think that Riho would have eventually overtaken them because... I think that it comes down to wrestlers didn't feel comfortable signing. You felt more comfortable signing a three-year deal with Impact because you know Impact as opposed to... (laughs) Then it won't die. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to this new promotion, even if they've got Jericho. You know, I think AEW said, we'll get the Joshi. Our fans trust us enough that we'll be able to do something unique and fun with this. And I think they overestimated how, you know, forgiving their audience would be. Let's talk about Jericho. He is a big part of this. You know, back in All In, no Jericho whatsoever. Jericho didn't actually come part of this until WWE totally botched this idea of the cruise. And without that cruise happening the way that it did maybe all elite wrestling isn't even a thing necessarily. You go look back on some other things that we talked about before about like, uh, you know, wrestling is 2020. What's the whole situation with the undertaker beating Brock Lesnar instead of losing to him and whatever. I really feel like if Vince McMahon allows NXT stars to appear on Jericho's cruise, AEW looks drastically different. Maybe they don't have a TNT deal. Maybe they do still. I mean, you never really know. But obviously there goes your first champion because Jericho wouldn't have most likely left WWE. 
then that becomes, well, is it Kenny Omega? Is it Cody? Is it Hangman? Did they go with Pac? Like, that changes things dramatically. Jericho legitimized AEW immediately. He was their Hogan for WCW. And he was the perfect Hogan, because their whole thing of being what is that, undesirable to undeniable is literally the Chris Jericho story. And Chris Jericho made it the biggest. You know, he loves being that guy who's like, I can stand up for a a sunny kiss because I was that nobody. I can stand up for that Orange Cassidy because I was the skinny nobody. He likes being in that role, but you're 100% right. If WWE just lets NXT on the fucking cruise, none of this happens. Jericho doesn't show up at all in. Um, there's no connection between Jericho and the Bucks. And, you know, none of it, just none of it happens. But that yeah, being... I, go ahead. I was just saying, I completely agree with you, but you continue. But that being said, as big of a game changer that Chris Jericho has been, I think he's also probably one voice too many on the creative side. I don't know. I, I only know what he's told us, and he's told us a lot, these COVID uh, Saturday Night Special Q&A sessions. But I, I think he's maybe one voice too many in creative. And more importantly, I think he's the guy who ultimately has it being like, okay, well, let's get this guy. And let's get that guy. Let's get Brody Lee. And let's get, like, Jake Hager. Become, yeah. I, he's just never going to be much of anything in my eyes anyway. But as much as Jericho shook up the game, I think Moxley shook it up far far more than jericho did and i don't want to skip over jericho per se but i want to tie in moxley because yeah jericho versus omega on pay-per-view was cool john moxley coming off of the shield run what a month before was even more like oh shit this is the new big promotion in terms of Jericho side of things, I completely agree with what you guys have said that without, with with if they'd allowed like the NXT people and the crews and WWE had maintained a stronger relationship with Jericho after he had left, then Jericho probably wouldn't have signed with AEW. He would have left, but part of me thinks that he would have signed with AEW anyway, just because he was doing the stuff in New Japan anyway. And in the same vein that AEW needed Jericho to be this successful out of the gate and to really like establish themselves immediately. Jericho needs AEW to prove he's himself relevant. to be one of, not to prove that he's relevant, to prove he's one of the greatest that's ever done it. Because if, he, because if he can say that he took this fledgling company and three years later they're doing like deep strong viewers on AEW on TNT or their whatever TV station they end up on and they're competing with WWE on a more even keel or whatever. I'm basing on the fact I'm basing that more on the fact of not AEW's numbers going up, but WWE's continuing to go down. <laughs> but it's but if you could say that sort of thing, then that makes him that adds to his legend, and that's what Jericho. I think that's what Jericho thrives on because it's, it's something that I've always like applauded with him and thought that something that's very very admirable about him is the fact that he never wants to stand still. He always wants to be at the cutting edge of everything that's going on in wrestling and wants to be the talking point, the person who's 
who's like the top star, but he's also the one that's getting everyone over. He's also the one that's like making all the headlines and everything to that regard. And that's and him signing with AEW was him doing that, was him making headlines in wrestling again. Because mm-hmm. if he just went to that's WWE, it's like, oh good, Jericho's back in WWE, that's cool. But if he signed with AEW, it's like, oh my god, Jericho's just signed with these promotions. Promotion means a lot more now. And Jericho's like a darling in everyone's eyes again, or he's someone who's just like he's right back in the just the wrestling atmosphere. He's not just another guy, another veteran in WWE. He's now like, okay, this guy is like the talking point in wrestling right now. Exactly. Jericho goes from the mid to upper card veteran to instantly your Hulk Hogan level, your Ric Flair level, and you now have the responsibility to make sure this promotion is a success. And I think Chris Jericho is a, is a goal-oriented man. I think he wants to be the best rock star, the best podcaster. And I also think it probably sticks in his craw that the one WrestleMania he headlined, nobody gave a fuck. <laughs> rock and Hogan were the talking point. The only the other manias he's been in world championship matches for, he's never been the main event. I think he wants to prove that he is a top, top level guy, and AEW gives him the chance to do that. Now, pivoting over to Moxley as Rob did, Moxley is a game changer in the sense that he was a guy who only a month prior to joining All Elite Wrestling was a top guy in WWE. And that's a difference to Jericho in the fact that Jericho is obviously he's a WWE legend. He was there for so many years, but he'd been on the outs with the company for a few months or years, like prior to that, or when he signed with AEW anyway. So he was still kind of out of the loop. He's obviously a well-known, respected name, but he was out of the loop at that point. Whereas Moxley was a sign that okay, so we can maybe expect guys to go out of WWE and then transition immediately to AEW and immediately be a big deal. And that's like that's a sign that that's a sign of like okay they're not just picking up I'd say also rounds but people that were just like either veterans WWE or tied to WWE at one point but have been let go already it's signing someone who wanted to leave WWE and join AEW and that's a huge difference. And Moxley can say whatever he wants about his time in WWE and he doesn't have to have loved it, but John Moxley was a top star. John Moxley has the uh, ability to say. He wrestled Brock Lesnar at Mania, something Jericho can't even say. Moxley is organically over with the modern crowd of WWE, and then he goes over there and shakes everything up, and I can guarantee you nobody thought John Moxley when they were thinking the original formation of AEW, but it's worked out so well. Now the ambulances have gone by. You can notice that the audio quality is not as great on this episode, and I apologize, everybody. But uh, what are you uh, apologizing for? You're in New York and you just got engaged. You're apologizing for shit. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Matt Cross. Okay, let's talk about him. What do you want? What do you want to say? Matt Cross beat Maxwell Jacob Friedman, who becomes you know a big part of this company. MJF just had his match with uh, John Moxley for the world title. Didn't win. Disappointed in that. And this Matt Cross guy, I don't know anything about him. <laughs> uh, he was on the cover of Backyard Wrestling for the PlayStation 2. He was in Lucha Underground as... Son of Havoc. Son of Havoc, thank you. Jimmy? And he... <laughs> yep. 
and he um wasn't was on tough enough ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, so I I think that was just due to the fact that they wanted to at, at that point in time. Obviously, MJF is still very young and still developing, but at that point he was just like a snot nosed heel who everyone wanted, everyone hated, and so everyone just wanted to see him beat all the time. People do still want to see him beat all the time, but they know that he's a star now. I think in but hindsight they would have had him win. Oh yeah, I think. Oh know, yeah, I think in hindsight they would have like had the ball running with him immediately because that was a blemish on his. Record. And to be fair, not many people tie that all in thing. They still thought that he was undefeated going into that match with uh, Moxley. So I don't, yeah, think intended, I don't think he's done any real harm, but it'd be good to like go back to All In if they did ever like have the rights to show All In and just say, okay, that was good. But wow, this MJF just lost this nobody who we, we don't actually really know beyond like, unless you're like a real follower of the Indies or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think it's just one of those things. Not everybody was getting picked up, but we've seen a lot today of... Brandon Cutler's got a job because he's the Young Bucks boy. He's their friend. And I think a lot of AEW was that, where it's like, well, we want to give our friends jobs. And, you know, Peter Avalon's been grinding on the indies for years. And Eddie Kingston's been grinding on the indies for years. Let's give him a job. But now you have the unfortunate task of, okay, cool. They've got jobs. Now what are you going to do with them? (laughs) I think with the two, when I was talking about how important Jericho and Moxley signing was, I think MJF is the most, is is probably the best pickup that AEW have ever made. And I think that that's going to pan out way more in the future too. Oh yeah, absolutely. But that's the thing, is the fact they got their hands on this guy first. Yeah. Because he could have just gone to WWE and it could have been a completely different story. He could have stayed in MLW and been their guy, you know. Yeah, but the fact that AEW have got this guy when he's going to start making big and he's going to start making waves that's a big selling point for them going forward we, like I'm saying he's, he's so young and he's got so much inbuilt talent already that he's going to go really far and probably WWE if WWE looked at everybody in that roster the, probably the person they're picking out to sign immediately is MJF yeah I would say um, I would argue second would be Jungle Boy and I think Jungle Boy has more upside than anybody on the roster, and it's only a matter of time before he's a singles champion. Jungle Boy, not a part of the all-in thing. Um, Lucha Bros were in separate matches. Penta lost yep. to Kenny Omega, and Ray Phoenix was a part of a tag team with Ray Mysterio and Bandito against the Golden Elite. They, they would have loved to assign Ray Mysterio. They tried, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, I'm just sure recently. No, like, they just tried, like, a oh. yeah. few weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They would have done. Yeah, yeah. They would have done as well because uh, Mysterio was working without contract for a while. But I think that Mysterio is in a situation, and it's slightly different than Jericho one because you'd imagine that someone at Mysterio or Jericho's age would want to just, if someone's going to offer you a lot of money and you get to work lesser dates and there's less of a, I guess, a burden on your body, then you're going to take the big company that's going to sell you and market you as best as you possibly can. So I don't blame him for sticking around. If it around wasn't for Dominic, Ray would be in W. In the oh yeah, uh, definitely one hundred percent. It's got to be the Dominic side of things. It's all the Dominic thing. And for that matter, Ray's making the right call. I think. Um, Jay Lethal, of course, ROH. Not surprised that that's not a uh, a thing. And then we got the think- the only other thing that's kind of a part of this all in side is 
you had a singles match for the NWA World Championship, and now we just recently have started to see that NWA is working with AEW in at least some capacity. You know, Thunder Rosa has uh, had her match at All Out, and some of the names that are in here, it's pretty interesting, though, because it's Cody with Brandy, which, of course, big parts of the company, DDP, who's been a part of AEW here and there from the very beginning, Glacier, who's made some appearances here and there, Nick Aldis, who has not, but he's still the guy in NWA. Tim Storm, of course, NWA. Sean Davari, not a part of AEW, was a part of the uh, producer side of WWE, not brought back yet. Uh, Jeff Jarrett signs with WWE, becomes producer, big part of that. And Samuel Shaw, who becomes Dexter Loomis and is currently injured on the NXT roster. Weird grouping of yeah. people here. And Tommy Dreamer, which we talked about earlier. But yeah, yeah. what an odd set of circumstances for this group. Some, some yeah, go here, some go there, some stay here, some I mean, change their name. Like, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, outside of Aldis and uh, Aldis Shaw and Cody, they're all pretty much just veterans that have already had their time, as it were. So it's not uh, and clearly, Callum, Tony wanted... Glacier to be the exalted one, and it's okay. I mean, it's fun to dream. But you need I, a slow build for that. I think that Aldis could have gone there and maybe would have, but Aldis, much like Cody and all those guys, is enjoying being the captain of his own ship. He loves flying the flag for the NWA. He loves being able to say he's a prestigious world champion and maybe he would have done that in AEW or maybe he would have just been another guy I don't think he would have been a world champion in AEW by now I think if we can look back now and think Kenny Omega was a guaranteed world champion he still hasn't even won it yet Young Bucks still haven't even won the tag titles Aldis wouldn't have been a champion by now no I mean, considering all the people you have, I mean, they've had two world champions, it's Moxley and Jericho, and I know it's the idea is like two WWE guys, but they're just a different level in terms of their reputation with it. And Aldis is great, but again, his reputation is more confined. They've tried to at least give them a launching pad with their world champions to be, these are the really like top names that people are just immediately going to draw their eyes to before we start building up some of our own guys to take that mantle instead. So Aldis wouldn't have been world champion by now. He might have been t- TNT champion, but... Uh, maybe, yeah. Even the TNT title, that's something to, to talk about. I mean, they didn't have that planned for sure. <laughs> like, I uh... think they did. I, th- I think I... they always had a mid-card title planned. And I think to... it was always going to be the television title. It's just that they got this partnership that allowed them to call the TNT title. I always hated the TV title. It's so stupid. I, I, I like a championship that's defended just on TV. It makes it feel... It's it's just like it's a reason to watch TV to make sure you see that match. I don't think you should. I don't think a, t- a TV title should ever be defended on pay per view. I don't think a mid card title should be dedicated to just TV. I feel like that's defeating the purpose of like you could but, throw it on the pay per view and stuff, you know. But I don't. I don't like. I mean, it's just so. Like, obviously, I love the Intercontinental Championship as an idea and as a concept, and I've the prestigious of the prestigiousness of it. But I just don't feel like it doesn't have a purpose because. It's like the same people that challenge for the world championship also challenge for the Intercontinental title. So why the fuck is it even there? 
It's like it's, I it's want intercontinental I want, instead of yeah. being the entire globe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never why, understood that okay, title. But but why does like okay, Edge Styles has been a multiple time world champion. So why does he become an Intercontinental champion? Why does Jeff Hardy become an Intercontinental champion? Because surely they're at the level that they could fight for the world championships. Why they need to be Intercontinental champion? It's just another belt that's there. It's no different from the world championship, really, in any regard. I think that whenever you have a Mikoto or any other title, it needs to have some level of distinctiveness from every other title you have on there. Because otherwise, why would you go for it? Why would you not? Won't everyone just not just go for the world championship? It's like, in my mind, it like says, okay, so I couldn't win the world championship, so I'll settle for this one instead. It's always like, so, okay, this is the worst one, so I'll try and win that instead because <laughs> I couldn't win the best one. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think mid-card titles, they're imperative. I think it makes a lot of sense when you say... I, I, I think mid-card titles are useful. I just think they need to distinguish themselves, where it's like saying, okay, we have this championship, but you can only win it if you're a certain weight, or you can only win it if you're under 30 or something to that effect. It's like something that distinguishes, like, this is the reason why these people are going for it, because they're however, under 30 or whatever, and so... This is like their stepping stone to the next title opportunity or something like that. Yeah, and I, I think eventually you'll see a national heavyweight championship or something to that effect, or just like an open weight. Well, they don't have weight divisions anyway, so you can't do that. I think that they'll get a cruiserweight. What's the point of having them in a cruiserweight? Yeah, I mean, I, cruiserweight level like hundred pounds. I'm not saying I think that there's a, a purpose for it, but I think that they're going to do it at some point. I think I think I think they might have a um I don't want to say a hardcore one. But something that's a bit more just is gimmicky compared to the other titles. I uh, see I want after seeing the twenty four seven championship for a year, I would like a return of a hardcore title or something that's less Looney Tunes. Because I think we've seen now that the twenty four seven aspect of the hardcore title without the hardcore is just Looney Tunes. No, it's, it's WWE just saying that's good enough that we do roll ups. Like they could do yeah. a lot more with it. They did at the beginning of it. Well, I think AEW has a roster that could accommodate. I mean, and a hardcore title or something like that pretty well because you have like Janella, and you have I think Pentagon and Phoenix would work well in that environment. Butcher and Blaze would probably fit into that quite well. Darby you Allen have Jimmy have yeah you would have had Jimmy yeah you would have had Jimmy Havoc probably. You'd have the, like, I think Page, not Page, um, uh, Cage, Brian Cage could fit into that quite well. Cause well, maybe that's FW the champion. title. It might yeah, be. You have plans for that one, so because if and they, I wouldn't get that. All they got to do is call it like the No Limits title or something like that, and be like anything goes. They don't need to call it just the change, Hardcore title, the and, the, yeah, yeah, or just change the name of the FTW one to that instead. Because what what's FTW stand for again? Fuck the world. Fuck the world. So they can't call it that. I can't call it the fuck no, the world no. championship and have that be on like press releases and stuff like that. But it's the idea that you could transition that into a hardcore title or sort of no limits title in the sense that it has prestige from ECW. Right. So that's kind of like taking that legacy forward into a new era. Now, I think it's a massive, massive mistake that they're going with this whole FTW thing because it's kind of like let's bring Taz's belt in and make that a part of the company. I think that that's an instance of Tony Khan just kind of marking out for something. And I think we've seen some of those things here and there. Yeah, we got to talk about Tony Khan. What do you want to talk about? He's the, well, he's the head of this whole thing, and sometimes, not all the time, and sometimes it's nice, but oh, there are times I get the vibe of, okay, dude, you're just so stoked to run a wrestling company, and I get it, 
but I think it clouds your vision sometimes. I think that he's a guy who it was kind of his dream to do this. And I agree with you in the sense that it does kind of make him a bit more of a fan than maybe he needs to be in sort of like the businessman side of things. But I think that it also means that he's going to inject a lot of more passion and emphasis into it than someone like, so, 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 I was going to say someone like Vince, because Vince is, was obviously a fan to a certain degree. But it's just someone who is going to inject a lot of enthusiasm and want to do something good with this. And that's more positive than having someone who's just thinking about it from a business sense. Especially with like a creative outlet like wrestling. Like he's not someone who's just gonna look at the numbers and just say, Okay, this is doing well, this is doing badly, so we take this guy off, take this guy on, that sort of thing. He's gonna be a bit more open to ideas and it's not perfect, but I don't think that he I don't think any any wrestling promoter does everything right hundred percent of the time anyway. Absolutely not. But he's gonna make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And he is making a lot of mistakes. But uh, yeah. that's part of the learning process. And I say but even though we're looking back in this review and we've obviously covered a lot of ground, but it is only two years into it. Not even a full two years, though. Yeah, yeah, and this company is not the finished article by any stretch of the imagination. No. But it's... And by I the way... It's, I think it's closer now than it was. By the way, the whole hook for this year was, wow, guys, the first full year of all these wrestling, <laughs> touring shows, that didn't happen. At yeah, all. Yeah, they got fucked. Everyone got, I mean, everyone's gotten fucked by the coronavirus stuff, but it's it's awful when your first year is like a fully established TV run company is in this year of all years. I mean, they, they, they've, they've had bad luck in a lot of regards, but that's probably the worst thing they've been hit with. But Hey, you know what? That might, again, benefit of hindsight, it might have worked out best for them because they're still on their way to having another TV show on TNT. They've been putting more effort into dark than anything that yeah. they've done before. They've, they've, I mean, they've signed a three year contract with TNT now, like an extra an extra three years on top of their their previous deal. Yeah, so so now that you know locked with TNT for a while, they came in at a time where I think if this would have been that they started like the way that they did beginning of last year, that would have been the beginning of this year. The promotion might be dead. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd think so. I think if it had started like yeah, if it happened in 2019 when they were forming it, they probably would have abandoned it or stalled at the very least, mm -hmm. and people would have signed elsewhere. People would have maybe just not been wrestlers, you know. Maybe some people just go, yeah, well, I don't have a job and whatever, so I'm just going to start doing this, you know, laying concrete or whatever the hell. Like, they, I mean, I mean, people that could have done would have signed with WWE just to get that security. Yeah. At that point in time, so WWE obviously would have been approaching things a lot differently. Maybe they wouldn't have signed a lot of people. Maybe they would have signed more people. You know. I think they would have signed a lot of the top names because they thought they were available, and then they would have released some of their other people to try and balance it out. I think being the elite would be on the network right now. Probably. I think they have their own uh, like table for free thing almost. I, I think you'd be able to say that uh, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega would be in WWE. Absolutely. I think. Cody and I think Cody Rhodes would be a world champion. I think Cody, had he gone back, had they all gone there, Cody would have been top guy. I could have seen. Cody being a part of NXT. And like, you know, you're not going to do this on the main roster or something like that. Make me a big deal in NXT or something like that. I don't know. I mean, we'll never, we're never going to know how this is going to work out. Cause we can't have go like go back in time with the time machine and do the whole, uh, the what if scenario, yeah. But, but that kind of brings I, me into, I guess like the last 
sort of topic that we can talk about here, which is, yeah, we don't have a time machine and we are looking at this two years ago kind of a thing. What about in the future? What do you think with the benefit of hindsight, we're going to look at how it is now, how things are going to play out, say five years from now or so. It's hard to really say. I mean, five years is past the point where even the BEPs have their um, have their uh, contracts too, because obviously they're contracted for was it five years when they started. Yeah, so, so that'll be twenty twenty four. Yeah, so five years from now is obviously like the year after that point. So we'll have to see how <laughs> if it's gone really badly, then obviously they'll be out and they'll be in WWE or New Japan or something at that point. But or maybe they'll that, just be done, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, they're not obviously a lot of them are getting on a little bit, but I think, I think five years from now, based on the current trajectory it's been going on, because like we were saying, they have made mistakes, but they're still going and they still seem to be, I don't say getting better, but they're getting more grounded and they're getting a swell of support and they've got a consistent fan base supporting them, which I, I don't know, will they go up or down as time goes? It depends on how just overall TV viewing trends really go, I think, in that regard. But and wrestling in general, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because wrestling is kind of in a boom. It's not the boom that the Attitude Era was, but it was a boom. I th- I think wrestling's in a in a lull at the moment significantly, just based on. It's always been my mindset of the um. I think I don't know whether I discussed this before on the podcast or not, but it's the idea that because WWE is doing badly, all wrestling is doing badly in North Absolutely. America, at the very least. Because when people think about wrestling, they think WWE. So really, realistically, AEW and a lot of these other promotions need WWE to be doing well because then it draws eyes to them as well because well, they know people that. are just watching wrestling. And, pe- and people know that, and they actually want, in a, in a way, to just have WWE succeed as well. So a lot of it will depend on how well WWE is doing at that point in time as well. So it's hard to really say five years of time because what is WWE going to look like in five years? We know WWE is at least going to be around in five years' time. <laughs> With AEW, it's a lot more up in the air. But I think... Based on what I've seen so far and what they can do and what mistakes they've made and still managed to come back from and not having too much too much backlash or other side of things, and they've managed to secure a pretty stable, regular fan base, I think five years' time we're looking at a, a, like a, an established wrestling promotion. Like something that's just like... It, it's there. It's not like... it's not. I don't think it's challenging WWE still at that point, but it's still... It's a solid number two company. I mean, five years from now, we don't know if WWE is going to be around. They could sell to Disney. It's like Disney uh, people around. Who knows what is going to happen over this time frame? Five years ago, in the wrestling landscape, the idea of AJ Styles in WWE was like, "Yeah, that'll never happen in a million years," you know, and it was going to happen in twelve months. So, so five years is a long window. But I think as long as the TNT partnership stays strong, they'll be okay. Because that's what killed Impact. When yeah. Impact moved from Spike to Destination to then Pop, like it, they just kept going down. As long as AEW can stay on a prominent platform, we'll be looking at a very successful wrestling company. Essentially, don't sign Vince Russo. Don't let Dixie Carter invest in your company. <laughs> Don't do anything fucking stupid. And don't tell your TV company that they're really bad at what they do. And then you're probably going to be fine <laughs> for a little bit. For, for a little while at the very least. But then again, Impact still exists. So design, like, maybe there's certain companies that are just going to exist no matter how bad they do. 
that AEW is not on that trajectory just yet. I think that AEW is pretty much a guarantee to still be around around this time. I think that the mistakes that they've made haven't been gargantuan enough to make me go, oh, 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 I don't know, this might go under. They'll make mistakes, they'll have some lulls, they'll have some downsides, you know, anything's going to be positives and negatives, but I just can't imagine that they're not at least on the same level that they're on now, if not higher. And I'm assuming higher. Let's not look like five years possible. How about in a year's time? Do you think AEW's audience is bigger or smaller than it is right now? In a year, I think the same. Depending on the um, pandemic and whatnot, I think the audience could be could be bigger. But the key will be getting some main acquisitions that will make more people tune in, and you know wrestling as a whole is struggling right now because a lot of people signed to major contracts and the crop of people coming up on the independence now don't have that buzz part of the buzz of AEW was these guys have all been toiling away for over a decade almost so a lot of the people now don't have that buzz but one or two key signings and i think we're looking good as long as AEW is back to playing arenas at capacity we're looking very good. Maybe one final thing then. That's like what one idea has been going through my head because obviously we're looking at our like retrospective all in. In looking at like the all in people that we discussed and stuff like that, who's like the one person from all in that they should have signed that they didn't end up doing? And obviously we know all the factors their involvement. They couldn't possibly have signed certain people, but if they had the pick of everyone from all in. Who's the one person they should have signed that they didn't? Yeah, I mean, like, you can tell now that we know the circumstances. Everybody that would have been like, it's Marty's girl. No. (laughs) Uh, I would say out of everybody that they could have gotten that they didn't already, because they got most of them. That's the thing. Yeah. Man, my gut reaction would have been Tessa Blanchard, but her problems ended up just completely killing that. I mean, if they could have gotten Okada, maybe that. Well, obviously, Okada is like something that, you know. Yeah, like... I mean, Okada was on the card, and, you know, I think Abushi would have helped. I'm but almost trying I... to keep it like within the like realms of somewhat realism. Of re- realism? Uh, well, at least they spoke to Abushi. If I had to pick one, just judging based off of all of the problems, I'd say Jordan Grace. Yeah, my, 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 I have obviously I would have two choices, which is you sign Jordan Grace or either Jordan Grace or Chelsea Green, and you try and build them as like, because they're very prominent female wrestlers and they probably would have done a good job for you in that side of things. Or you sign Rey Mysterio. Yeah, like that's the other one. That's the on the nose. Like, well, if you got Rey. But at the same time, I feel like if you have Rey, it does great business in the beginning. But I'm thinking Jordan Grace can lay that foundation for the women. And if they can say that they have, you know, a flawless women's division or at least a better one than they do today, that erases a lot of the very minimal criticisms that they get. I don't think uh, signing Ray would have really moved the needle all that much more. I think maybe a couple more people would have tuned in originally, but I mean, Ray's well past his prime. True, but he's still got a reputation behind him that's like, I mean, you look at like 
I mean, I'd say Jericho's well past his prime. He's still innovating and stuff like that. But it's just the name factor is more important than what he actually does in the ring. And the the key thing, and this goes across all of wrestling, and I think we can end it here, is who do you think, if you look at the roster that they have today, who is the person that can transcend just the hardcore wrestling fan base and get them into talking about you know, wrestling again in the zeitgeist of pop culture. Anthony Agogo. <laughs> it could be. Still I, know nothing about this dude. Is it British boxer? Sure. Fine. But um, it does like. I mean, it's probably Moxley. I'm going to say Darby Allen. I mean, I can rule out almost every single person I'm looking at. Like, a, it's a Jack Evans isn't going to be the type or anything like that. But, uh, you know, that's how you feel. I know that I would bank more on somebody like a Moxley than a lot of these other people. There's nobody that stands out to me, really. Except I would have said maybe somebody who would have caught on in more fashion without things going down the way that they did. Maybe Sammy Guevara. Now, he's had a oh. bad uh, set of circumstances over these past couple of months. But a couple of months ago, I mean, there was a big drastic difference between Sammy Guevara when he first came into AEW versus where he was a couple months ago versus where he is now. That's a big, like, down, up, down, up kind of thing. Uh, and now he's on the downswing. But like, does the union is a? I know it's the last thing to be lasting, but since it's all the rage, does the unionization of wrestlers or the potential unionization help or hurt all elite wrestling? I don't think it happens. <laughs> it won't happen. If that's what I, it well, happen. obviously, they, thanks, guys. If I wanted the obvious answer, <laughs> I wouldn't have asked. The but yeah, but yeah, but it, it it hurts them in the sense that they still they still apply similar working practices in terms of their contracts that WWE does. So they would fall under the same issue. They'd fall under a lot of the same issues WWE does, not to the extent, but they still would have some sort of issues to ask for there, and they'd have to end up shelling out more money, which they don't have. The WWE does have. So, I think awesome. I think it would hurt them. It would hurt them eventually, but maybe eventually it would help them because eventually they'd get their practices more in order. And WWE's track record in terms of that thing is far far more. Uh, worrying than all elite wrestling's one is so maybe they'll just escape with the fact that people just say oh why don't we talk about all elite wrestling and then you're just looking through the rings and rings of what wwe have done in terms of their independent contractors but you know i i I don't i don't i don't like think that's going to be a big issue even in the next five years or so that people have made all these noises before and it never happened so and that was something that they had talked about pretty early on about the being employees and everything. I don't think that it's panned out the way that they were kind of advertising it as being. Well said. I just wanted to get that little bit of discussion in there. I agree with everything Callum said. It will still hurt them, but they have a better chance of adjusting than WWE does in the long run. <laughs> They'll at least roll with the punches instead of. Trying to yeah. be a yeah. brick wall. They have they have a lot less of a track record that they need to answer for, essentially. <laughs> and they can no. uh, they can argue that they're they can be the promotion on the forefront of this, as opposed to just being the promotion that everybody's trying to well attack. Let's be honest. If this happens, and AEW goes, well, we're at the forefront of this, or whatever, like that, and WWE waits a couple months and does it. WWE is going to act like they're doing it anyway. 
they would just market it as like the WWE uh, uh, step forward initiative. We're the first ever company that has this kind of thing. And it'd be like, they're not. And it'd be like, yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> it's, you know. It's the thing, thing that WWE is able to do is that they can read the writing on the wall pretty quickly. So if they know this thing's coming in, then they'll just immediately try and jump on it and say that they're the ones that actually, they're the ones that actually, you know, inspired that initiative in the first place. And they're the ones that actually talk, talk to people in governments to get this sort of bill put forward so we could so we can finally end this awful practice of treating our independent <laughs> contractors like they're actually employees that we that essentially just don't let them do anything else besides the fact that they don't have any rights or privileges essentially the employee revolution has become the employee evolution and you know so no the worker revolution has become the employee evolution wwe work no rate the news show yeah. They're no longer called WWE superstars. They're called WWE employees. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, think that that's kind of good enough discussion that we got going on here. Some things good, some things bad, some things who knows, some things we'll have to see. I mean, there's no definitive yes, no answer because there's no definitive yes, no question to answer to begin with. Um, yes, there's, a defini- there's one definitive one. What would that be? Are you happy? Are you happy that all elite wrestling existed? In, like, yeah, I guess if you want to put it that way, successful in all elite wrestling happened well in that regard yeah yeah i'm very happy with it yeah i would say that it's made wrestling better so we want to know what you have to say about all these topics drop a comment below as i mentioned before if you want to show us your support in whatever fashion you can beyond just the comments i've already mentioned the patreon the youtube uh membership whole situation that we got going on there there's the merchandise shops on t public and redbubble there are shops for not only just the smart cat moment side of things, but also a mango tees and fanboys anonymous. If you don't know what a fanboys anonymous is, check out that website and you will see all the stuff on the geek culture spectrum, like TV show talk and stuff about comic books and video games and movies. And the announcement that I put up earlier today that I'm engaged. Woo. So <laughs> that's over on there. The uh, future of what's coming up next uh, we'll talk about it in a moment, but one of the things that's coming up next is going to be the next episode of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast. So to fill you in a little bit about what you can hear on that next episode is going to be Callum. Yes, yeah, so the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast where me and Rob go back to the year 2002 to check out every single episode of Smackdown that Paul Heyman was the head writer for and just enjoy some classic Smackdown, Smackdown action. I think the next episode you're looking forward to will be the... I think it's actually the is it the Billy and Chuck wedding? I think the next one. Wedding. Yeah, it's the Billy and Chuck wedding. So that is, I haven't I haven't edited that one yet, just as a lot of spoiler behind scenes. But this is that's a discussion. I think that's the longest episode we've done so far, and it's definitely not one that you want to miss because it's one of it's one of the best. The women's Mount Rushmore podcast and this are some of the best discussions I've ever had with Cal. Yeah, so definitely, hopefully you look forward to that one and you'll be able to see it in your feed on Saturday. Other than that, there's, we'll be, oh, that's almost leading into there's going to be an Unforgiven special towards the middle end of September as well. So you can look forward to that one if you're on the Patreon, if you're on Dark Cost here at the $10. If you're paying that amount, then you'll get that extra episode as well. So if you want to listen to the whole thing, then make sure you're at that tier. Other stuff, you can follow me on Twitter at WeekRiceTo14. Uh, check out all the articles on SmartCatMoment.com, including the Power Rankings, which is my weekly contribution. And the Fantasy League, obviously. I put a little post in the Mega Maniacs earlier 
uh, I think it was yesterday, just saying, giving a little update on what the first week was like. There's been a uh, a lot of changes thanks to my boy Finn Balor coming through on uh, NXT recently. So I've been pushing myself a little bit further ahead of the pack. And Rob is almost off minus points. So that's something to, <laughs> Very to look forward to as well. But I'll make sure to post another update sometime next week in the Fantasy League and let you know how everything is shaping out. Yes, and as for my plugs, you can follow me on Twitter at DudeFelice. Check out everything I've got going on on WrestleZone and on Fightful, including I'll be on the Fightful podcast post-AEW Dynamite. So this is not my last discussion about AEW today, and I hope you guys check that out. And I always appreciate the support, and I look forward to being on the Hot Tags and the Paul Heyman SmackDown podcast and every other podcast that smart guy at the moment ever does johnny well those hot tags are coming up later on this week we'll talk about whatever we need to talk about that happened in the world of pro wrestling over the past few days not a whole lot going on uh, as far as my notes right now but you know plans could change i don't know how many times we've had a friday where it's like or a wednesday or whenever we're recording where we're just sort of like not a whole lot of things uh, to talk about and then an hour goes by and we're like oh now it's gonna be a two-hour show <laughs> sometimes that happens well, I- you can see if you heard last week's episode that that turned into a dumpster fire quick. <laughs> yeah so uh look forward to that coming up later on this week and after that's the paul Heyman smackdown podcast then we start getting into whatever we do next week right now the current game plan is question mark we don't really have a plan so if you have any suggestions of what you would like us to do drop them in the comments below we'll take all that into consideration and then we'll play things the way that we need to play them but Thank you for listening to this edition. You can follow me all over the place. You can follow Smart Out Moment all over the place. And then we'll be seeing you when we be seeing you. This has been another Smart Out Moment, and we're being counted out. Ah!